From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 413, virtualizing everything on Azure using remote app with guest Hayden Finn. Recorded Tuesday, March 3rd, 2015. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Bringing back one of my favorite guests today, Aiden Finn, the Microsoft Valuable Professional with the hyper-fee expertise and a whole lot of other things. Still hanging out in Ireland, sir? I am indeed. How you doing? And did you get renewed? Did I get renewed? I got renewed, yeah, thankfully. Uh, last July, I got renewed. They haven't caught on to you yet, huh? Not yet. Though I think they're watching me even more closely. But, well, you know, you're sitting in a place that's getting more and more important these days. And virtualization's just not optional anymore. I haven't got a customer left at this point that isn't on some kind of virtualization, whether it's VMware, or Hyper-V, or uh, VMs up in the cloud, where, you know, there's mm. so many places, but it's, you know, that's the norm now. Yeah, it's the norm. Um, deploying stuff onto physical servers is just done by a few people at this point. Yeah, there's, there, I'm, running, I'm running out of excuses to do bare metal installs. There's just no reason. Yeah, and everything's kind of evolving as well. Like you said, Hyper-V is becoming the norm, so there's some of us out there who kind of have to find new pastures to start specializing in. <laughs> <laughs> it's it. If you were really good at flipping disks to load up servers, your jobs needs to change. <laughs> yeah, it's getting too easy. <laughs> yeah, I can't <laughs> believe how fast I can stuff. stand up a machine these days. It's staggering. Yeah, it's like, especially if you're using PowerShell or something, uh, just to automate it. Yeah, boom, boom. Um, like Hyper-V Manager and System Center make it all really easy. PowerShell makes it really fast. Um, and there's lots of cool stuff. Like I, I jest about, you know, virtualization. Like obviously VMware have made some big announcements recently. Mm -hmm. they, they continue to be interesting, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I recently just was looking at their VDI as a service offering. Yeah, uh, because and they're starting to deploy it themselves. And this is the first product I've looked at and said, I think VMware is going to live because if they're trying to make their living selling virtualization, well, that market's dying. No two ways about it. It's becoming free. But yeah. to become a service provider, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, they're straying into interesting territory with VDI as a service because as m many of us will know, maybe not everyone else does. And clearly by search results, we can see that not everyone does realize it. Yeah. You can't run Windows Desktop OS legally as a hosted service. Right. Um, as Brian Madden made very, very famous a couple of years ago um, when he <laughs> volunteered to relinquish his MVP status to get some answers. Um, yeah, it's an interesting space to get into. Um, I'd love to hear a bit more and dig into that to see what's going on. Yeah, the, the virtualization of the client side, that is, I think, the yeah. growth area. But I don't know that's yeah. what we're going to talk about today. No, 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 no. We've lots of other cool things to talk about. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> but yeah, always a fun digression. This market is, you know, we're so far from done. There's just more to do all of the time. Yeah. Um, it's learn, learn, learn. Yeah. I spend about two hours of every day now just reading new stuff. 
Well, and I saw a tweet from you go by, I think it was yesterday, that where you said, yep. looks like I can't ignore Azure AD anymore. Yeah. And I thought, <laughs> there's a story there. <laughs> yeah, so I've spent the last 13 or 14 months trying to learn Azure. Oh, interesting. And yeah, so trying to learn Azure is trying to, it's like trying to become Zen. <laughs> um, there is no end point. Yes. Um, because the thing keeps changing like twice a week. It keeps changing. Um, they add some new features, some new service, or they change something or whatever. Um, or they update the PowerShell commandlets or, you know, this constant change. Yep. And I'm a, an infrastructure guy, so obviously I focus on things like IaaS, so mm-hmm. virtual machines and storage and websites and yeah. things like that. I used to sell you servers. Now I sell you virtual machines. <laughs> yeah. So um, I started looking around, and one of the things that kind of scares me in the Microsoft world is ADFS. Yeah. It's one of those necessary evils, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I thought it is unnecessary. <sighs> Uh, depends on what products you know i'm always involved in exchange migrations up to exchange online and you just have to have it Uh, same with the crm product you can do the crm product standalone but you will hate yourself yep um and luckily for me i don't work with office 365 um and that's that is the de facto standard here in ireland and and i've come to also believe once you stand up an adfs you will never turn it off like this idea that you're going to migrate and not need it anymore it's a myth it's yeah, a permanent you're part. Use it to hybridize your identity. Yeah, and it's going to be hybrid so forever. There, yeah. There's so many benefits when you do that. Yeah. Um, like Microsoft marketing will tell you all about Azure AD Premium and stuff, but when you start looking into it, you start going, "What? You mean I can use my domain username and password to sign into Amazon Web Services <laughs> or Salesforce? <laughs> Let's think about Google that services. for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um. To be able to use one username and one password to sign into hundreds of different SaaS services yeah. or IaaS services that, yeah, there's some Microsoft ones, but there's lots and lots of Microsoft partners and Microsoft competitors. Yeah, they're all playing ball with this. And it's the whole OAuth 2 interface through ADFS. Mm. This is, and you know, you have people are talking about how amazing it's gotten. I think I did a whole show on this a while back, and we're just saying, you know, it is the f- third version of ADFS, which you're not mm-hmm. allowed to call it that because apparently the ADFS team gets really uppity. They're like, no, that's uh, ADFS for Windows Server 2012 R2. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I've I been working with partners here in Ireland for since last August um, when Microsoft launched Azure True Open Licensing. And I've been running these monthly lunch and learn events for techies. Mm-hmm. And each month we... You know, we spend about 15, 20 minutes covering what's changed in the last month. <laughs> and then diving into a particular topic. Oh, and, man. Uh, we've been building it up as we go along, like from just activating a subscription all the way through, setting up storage and networking and virtual machines and online backup and a- AS or Azure site recovery. And the, the topic I'm doing next is remote apps, so remote desktop services right. as a service. Interesting. Now we get back, we circle back to this whole desktop as a service thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
I started working on that, and the scenario that interests me is the hybrid scenario where we can use a VPN connection at the back end of of Remote App. So Microsoft initially pitched Remote App as a way to deliver client applications um, instead of just distributing them onto PCs, and then you could have a site-to-site VPN connection uh, from your on-premise network into Remote App wow. to access those applications over a secure network. And, you know, that's cool and everything. But there's another scenario where we can twist that around. So one of the situations I've had to deal with a lot with partners is lifting and shifting application servers into the cloud as right. VMs. Um, you know, we can pick up, you know, file servers, main controllers, and all that sort of thing, and lift it and shift it into Azure. And then, you know, the customer's happy because they're not an accidental IT company anymore. Yes. They're a computer room full of stuff that they don't understand. Um, that's all well and good, but how's the end user going to access those line of business applications? You know, it's great if it's got a web front end. It's designed for latent network connections. Right. But what if it's a file server? Yeah. <laughs> or it has some sort of thick client that runs on the PC. Right. Like Office or some other third-party application. So that stuff doesn't work so well with a latent network connection. So why don't we lift and shift the client application and put it in the cloud as well? So are you talking about virtual desktop? Um, no, you're talking about session hosts and remote desktop services. Okay. Um, running in remote app. So what you do is you actually build up a generalized session host as a VM uh, on some temporary Hyper-V server. Mm-hmm. And then you upload that uh, sysprepped image into a remote app and use that as a template. And it will deploy those as required so people can log in and share that virtual machine to run those applications. And the applications appear as seamless windows on their client device. Are these like RDP windows? Yeah. So wow. it's remote effects. Okay. And you you basically can move the client application into this infrastructure less infrastructure right um where you don't have to worry about all the complexities of remote desktop servers connection brokers and all that other stuff you literally just create a session host and upload it into azure and i've been building up that solution but one of the prerequisites for that is you need to have identity in the cloud of course yes you'd have to have a username and password and that's where azure active directory comes in i mean does it have to be in the cloud or could you be calling back to adfs um it's that's a good question um there is two scenarios so one is you can do adfs mm-hmm. so if you have a reasonably sized organization you might do that for single sign on um, alternatively, you can configure uh, DirSync, which will be replaced by AD Connect, uh, which is currently in preview. And you can actually uh, have shared sign-on. So you duplicate or synchronize your username and password into Azure AD. Right. I, I would think you'd want Azure AD as a read-only host. You know, your master's still living in- internally. Some people might. Um, certainly, that would be the nicer solution. But I think for sm- small, medium enterprise, they may want to go with uh, AD Connect uh, synchronization um, just because it's simpler, it's lower cost. Um, whereas if you deploy ADFS, then there's got to be an infrastructure for that. Right. And that infrastructure could actually run as Azure VMs. Um, so you could have your Active Directory on-premise replicating into a VM running as a domain controller in Azure. Right. And then have... An 
or a couple of those in Azure and then have an ADFS cluster running in Azure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's multiple ways to actually look at this. And, it, and I would have a hard time justifying running of an Azure VM of AD when there's AD services. Like I always want to be higher up on the stack. Don't, don't give me yeah. IaaS when I can have pass. Yeah. Um, it all is, it's one of these things that I think it's going to be different for every type of scenario. Sure. Um, you know, my market is mainly SME, uh, small, medium enterprise. So we're more likely to see, uh, synchronization of username and password. That certainly seems to be the more common solution for Office 365. Mm-hmm. Um, where there is ADFS out there, but it tends to be a larger organization or someone who's got very specific requirements. Right. Well, and, and this is, isn't this generally true of the cloud overall? That if you're a small organization, get everything out of your office as quickly as possible. You don't want to run that stuff. Yeah, keep it simple, and that's where I'm kind of coming with my design. Yeah. Um. So the design is I have domain controllers and application servers running as VMs in a virtual network mm-hmm. in Azure, and then I'm using a VNet to VNet connection between remote app and the virtual machines networks. So we have an entire solution sitting in the cloud. And all the user then needs on premise is their client devices. So what you know, you even said that little scary thing about licensing. How is the license situation when we talk about remote app? So that's the good thing. Um, remote app is paid for by user as part of your Azure subscription. Ah. So you don't need any RDS calls or RDS cells or any of that stuff. You right. don't need any Citrix licensing. And they have two types of user. They have a standard user and a basic user. So basically a lightweight user and a power user. And the pricing, they have a starting price and then they have an hour consumption price, but then they have a capped price as well per month. So no matter how much a user uses a remote app, they'll never go over that monthly price, which is good news for a financial controller. Sure. Yeah. You have control over that. And and not that you would necessarily stop them, but you want to know when they hit a certain threshold, make sure they're using it correctly. Well, yeah. Um, and the good news is they're not going to, they're not going to overspend. Yeah. Um, so you have, you have a starting price, but then you have a capped price. At yeah. The top so end. you don't, you don't get surprised at the end of the month. Yeah. And there's two tiers. So your kiosk type workers, you know, they'll be paying, or they'll cost a lot less than your power users who are using Office and stuff like that. And you don't have to install these apps out to the clients. Correct. So deployment becomes a lot easier. Deployment is a process of prepare a session host with your typical applications and upload that into Azure. So when I said at the beginning of the show, okay, we're not going to talk about VDI, you want to talk about something else, (laughs) I was wrong, because this is a different approach to VDI entirely. Well, it's not really VDI. Yeah, of course. It's still a shared session host. But it is virtualizing the application. I no longer have Absolutely. an installation footprint on the client. I have control over the app in the cloud. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of it. This is stuff I like as an IT guy, right? I mean, my, yep. I'm working with some customers that have, they're doing accounting in many different countries. And there's some seriously archaic software out there for the accounting packages they have to use. I'm talking Fox Pro. And, and we're really struggling on how to, you know, you don't want it running on a beige box under somebody's desk. You, know, mm. you want it in a virtual machine-like environment so that you can keep it healthy. And you yeah. ne- you're never going to upgrade it, right? It's sort of tr- lost in time. You just want it in a kind of can where there's the least amount of risk to anything. 
So, you know, I was looking at VDI for that, but I th- it looks like, could remote app do this? Can I create a safe can for an old Fox Pro DBF app? Well, as long as it can run on Windows Server 2012 or 2. Right, yeah. which you should be able to. Yeah. Then you should be able to get it to work. So what about the data store for that? You know, this is always the question when you go into these sort of virtual environments. When you disconnect from with remote app, what happens to the instance? So that's a good question. Mm. I'm still learning this stuff myself. Right. Um, so the the template, from what I can see, is deployed out as required by Microsoft. Right. I'm still trying to get to grips with this technology myself. It's the newest piece that I've started working with um, in terms of data and everything. Um, what you're using or remote app for is basically just presenting applications. So it is kind of a stateless place. Right. Um, data is going to be on your servers. And for me, that's why I'm putting these virtual machines on another virtual network in right. Azure. And then I can use the VNet, VNet uh, VPN connection. And then you have separate instances that are essentially mapped as drives or named pipes yeah. that are the storage element of it. So I can have my file server, my domain controller, my application server, all that stuff sitting in that network. Awesome. Now I get to finish implementing this and prove that it works. Um, but hopefully someone else has and they can confirm it. Right. Um, and I'll certainly be writing a few articles on Petri.com if For I sure. can verify that this all works. Give me one second to pay the bills here, Aiden, because Run As Radio is brought to you by ScriptRock, the makers of guardrail and the fighters of Configuration Drift. Configuration Drift happens in every environment from five nodes to 5,000. Guardrail will find and scan the configs of every node in your environment, no matter the platform, and alert you to changes happening across machines. Give it a try for three months free with the coupon code RUNASRADIO, all one word, at scriptrock.com slash runasradio. Okay, I'm, the, I'm enthralled at this model of creating essentially transient instances of applications based on a call to remote app that then bind to stable servers or services on the back end that do storage. Because then you're super Mm -hmm. elastic and location independent too. If I've got guys in a faraway land, I should be able to use the nearest Azure site to give them nice short ping time so the app's super responsive. Hopefully, yeah. Um, And then... You know, if you can present the remote app clients out to different regions in Azure, be it Australia, Western US, yeah. you know, Europe or whatever, or Brazil, then they'll be able to access um, the server applications that are running maybe in one region across the Azure WAN or the back end. And that's going to be super fast networking. Well, when I'm thinking about, you know, the challenge of remote app, the thing you don't want to do is interrupt the guy's keystrokes. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to get his keystroke to that app as quickly as possible. So I want that uh, instance really close to the user, but his yep. storage could be further away. You know, it's one thing exactly. to get in between the clicks of you filling in a record, but once you hit that post button, you can take a hundred milliseconds. That's okay. Yep. And in theory, this should all be possible. And when you, Considered it, you know, you're talking about Windows Server 2012 or 2 mm-hmm. and the remote FX protocol. You know, it's designed for latent network connections. Right. Um, so it's, it's certainly something that should be able to solve that sort of issue. And it's one of the scenarios I was considering because, you know, I've had multiple partners in Ireland contact me about situations where they've got a customer who has users 
you know, either located around the nation or internationally. Right. And they want that those people to be able to collaborate. I mean, it's got to be easy if you're in Dublin working against the Ireland data center. It's just not that <laughs> far, right? Oh, uh, you, you'd think so. You'd think. <laughs> you'd think Uh-oh, so. Oh, here comes the bitter. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> so the internet is a weird and wonderful beast. Yes, focused on weird. Yeah, I worked for a hosting company back in 2007, and it was a Friday evening in December, and we were about to go out for our Christmas party. And we there was a couple of stragglers, and we went to find them. They were down in the knock, and they were dealing with a help desk call. Some person who lived three miles away from our data center. Three miles. Right. And what's that? That's four and a half kilometers. Right. For our metric friends. <laughs> and... um I uh, I couldn't believe the situation that, that trans that, you know came about. Basically, this person was claiming that um, we were offline and we had broken the SLA and we owed money to this customer and this, that, and the other. And they were very, very angry. Right. Now, we could see everything was online. No one else had any problems. We were able to see the rest of the internet. The internet was able to see us. Yep. This person was absolutely livid and serious. So... A lot of diagnostics went on, and what we found was their ISP routed through Germany. (laughs) And there was a faulty router in Germany, which meant that the hop between their ISP and the peers that we were working with wasn't functioning correctly. Right. So their packet was getting lost and going into a loop in Germany somewhere. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's just... It's just the nature of the way the internet is wired. Yeah. But now you're in this situation with this angry customer where you're, you appear to be blaming someone else. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a site out there. It's a really cool site called Azure Speed Test. I've not. I remember when Azure came out, they wouldn't let us do speed tests. Yeah, well, someone's running it, and it seems to be running on a f- – I think it's on a, running on uh, Azure itself as an Azure Which is website. hilarious, yes. Yeah. And um, when I run it – and right now where I am sitting, I am about 10 miles from the data center. Yep. I can't say where it is because I've signed six NDAs. However, <laughs> if you search hard enough, you will find it on an Irish government website highlighted in yellow. Nice. Um, I'm about 10 miles from it here. At work, I am about two miles from it. And when I run that test, I usually get better results from Europe West. Now... I'm in Dublin, which is in Western Europe. Yes. We have the North Europe region. Mm-hmm. East of us is Europe West. Awesome. Let's think about that for a minute. Yes. <laughs> which is in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. And I generally get better results from Europe West in Amsterdam. So I just fired up the Azure speed test for my, and I'm on in Vancouver. I'm the West Coast of Canada. And, uh, uh, so obviously, West US is the fastest at like seventy-five milliseconds. Then all the other US servers, the content delivery network usually gives you great results as well. I'm getting over two hundred milliseconds at a content delivery network. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. That's it, it, what, what I'm surprised by is Central US, North Europe, and West Europe for me have the same ping times. Yeah, and I'm like, wait a second, that's crossing an ocean. Yeah. I'm getting great times out of Japan too, but I am literally on the Pacific coast and right by the, the trans Pacific wire. So, well, 
that's not the region to use if you don't need to, because I think that's the most expensive region by far. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah the two uh, J- Japanese regions are very expensive. Well, yeah, only if you're there, right? That's the only reason you use it. And oddly enough, Australia's got the worst ping times, because it's a long way away. Yeah. That's a long way. <laughs> <laughs> this is a cool a- site. I'll, I'll make sure to include it in the show notes, but you got to look at this. It's very interesting and it's continuously updating. So I love it. Yeah. It's a fantastic site. And it, it's one of those things that people don't think about. Okay. Which region should I go into? It's right. the usual thought process of, oh, well, I need to be in a local region to stop the US from, you know, stealing my data or whatever. Yeah. We all know they don't care about location. No. <laughs> oh, you're in that data center. You think that's going to make a difference. Okay. Yeah, that Outlook mailbox that Microsoft is in court over is actually in Dublin. So, yes. Um, we know all about that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, an element to think about is run that uh, Azure Speed Test site and see what's the best performance site for you because it may not be where you think it is. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, in, in circling back on a remote app with this, this is what you're going to notice if you're running a remote session is, mm-hmm. you know, you can write all the coolest software in the world, but if it takes 300 milliseconds for your keystroke to get there, there's not much yeah. you could do. You know, a normal typing speed, nothing outrageous. So mm. 60 words a minute, say 300 characters in a minute, that's five characters a second. So, you I mean, you need to be under 200 milliseconds just to keep up. Yep, and I hate to shift this towards a developer talk. Um, I know you're a developer. I, I, um, I switch hit, dude. You know, I'm just trying to solve <laughs> the problem. Um, but, you know, the the long term answer is going to be writing modern applications that use HTTP and HTTPS. Yep, which are wordy, repeating protocol. Heck, TCP/IP is a pretty noisy protocol too. Yeah, that's why RemoteFX has switched over towards UDP. Right, and um, that's why we get that better performance over latent connections like the internet. Yep, and um, but long term, uh, you know, these lightweight like apps that we're used to using on tablets and phones and sometimes on Windows, um, they're the solution long-term for line-of-business applications. Uh, using web interfaces, whether they be a web page or just an interface or API for some application, right? I think that's the long-term solution. Yeah. Um, I see Personally, I see remote app as being a stepping stone that enables us to move legacy applications and services into the cloud. Right. And into this more and more completely virtualized environment. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be running very dumb, thin devices down the road. Um, and we're going to be hosting those services more and more in data centers. Um, IaaS still has a role, continues, and will continue to have a role, I think. Yeah. But I think IaaS's role will shift more to hosting uh, SaaS. I think SaaS long term is going to be where the industry moves to. And that's where people actually want to be, right? Like in the end, I don't want to own any software and I don't want to own any infrastructure. I just want to be able to get the work done I need to get done. If there's an application that will help me do that, awesome. Just let me pay for it by the hour. Yep. It's good news for everyone except for a young IT pro. (laughs) 
Oh, I mean, at the same time, it's just our job transforms, right? We're more about shepherding the infrastructure and ma- monitoring the SLAs and finding other opportunities. Like this is, like you said, it's a continuous process. You're always going to be finding a better way to run every app. Yeah. And, you know, that's the way I've looked at it. I don't think Azure's killing off the IT pro. No. I think if your job is being a disk monkey, you're in trouble. Yeah. If you like racking and stacking hardware, well, there's only a couple of people you can work for now. Yeah. And they don't hire many people. No, they don't need a lot of them. They're getting really fast at that stuff. Yet those modern data centers, these huge facilities, you know, they don't need more than 20 or 30 people. And yeah. most of those are working shift security. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the operations work tends to be outsourced to you know, hardware vendors or whatever. Yeah. The guys who are running ops internally at those places, their jo- job is to watch the temperature gauge. Yes. Keep things healthy and feed the guard dog. But, yeah. <laughs> but the guys who are actually, I, I've been through a couple of these new cloud data centers and yeah, I mean, the gear is from HP or it's from Dell or it's from Lenovo. You know, or it's, it's not from anyone we recognize. Yeah, some other company you've never heard of, and they've they basically leased it for five years. Where they are, the only thing they did was provide a concrete pad, power, water, and bandwidth. Yeah, and the vendor brought in everything else, and at the end of five years, they take it all away. Yeah, um, it's it's moving, and I think even those big name brands are struggling at this point because you know. They can't engineer at a price that the ODMs can. Yeah. And when, you know, one of the big three comes along and says, hey, give us 100,000 servers, and they're going to be exactly this and this color and this shape and this design, um, and you're going to pre-rack them with JBODs at the top with this model of switch, um, you know, an ODM is going to be much more flexible to an AWS or an Azure or whoever. Well, that's what um, Open Compute's been all about, right? It's just sucking the branding. Yeah, and when you look at like Microsoft's submission there, it's very clear that they're doing stuff that isn't available from your typical vendor. Um, it's it it looks to be all very customized. Yeah, it's very uh, very specific, and and now you're basically at the manufacturer's level. Yeah, and when you're powering up, was a core every five seconds. Yeah, and uh, they had a million hosts. Last summer, Tech Edge <laughs> US, they were saying it was a million hosts, or someone was saying it was a million hosts. It could have been Mark Manassi. Um, you know, that's an incredible amount of purchasing power. Yeah. Um, which helps them drive down costs, which yep. is good for us. And so for the most part, they've been passing along to us. The price of this stuff goes down, uh, it seems yeah. like every month, if not every quarter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been about every quarter, I think. And it, and it trickles, like if Google reduces their pricing, Amazon does the same, yep. and Microsoft does the same, and maybe they even bring it down a little bit more. Um, we're seeing that again with online backup in Azure. Um, the price of that last August was really cheap. Yeah. Then they reduced the price again, and everyone just went, oh my, that's just so cheap. Yeah. And then they've announced changes. Now, unfortunately, the announcement of those changes was extremely confusing. Um, but it looks like for a s- smallish customer, backup pricing might come down about 60%. But the bigger you are, the bigger that percentage will be. Right. It could be as much as an 80% discount, if not more. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just. It, it is a race to the bottom for pricing. 
Yeah, it's it's all the software defined everything yep. that they're doing. It needs to be that they're talking about in server V next and that we've talked about in previous uh, podcasts. For sure. Um you know, when you're doing software defined storage, you can do it a lot cheaper than those guys who are doing sans. Well, it all gets back to this original story you're saying. You have to automate all this stuff because it's so inexpensive. The only cost now is the labor to run it. So yeah. minimize that. Um, you know, Azure allows you to do things at huge scales, which is really cool. And, you know, when using that elasticity and even automated elasticity. Mm-hmm. So one of the examples I talk about is, you know, a voucher company that might do gangbusters business in December, but the rest of the year they don't really do much. They can automatically scale out for December and then shrink back down as demand dies off. Yep. So they, their spend goes up in December, but it's as, as a result of generating more profit. Yeah. Um, so it all pays for itself. Yeah. Your cost of goods becomes granular. You don't have this yeah. fixed overhead. It's every transaction has a fixed price. As the number of transactions go up, you're just spending a bit more. Yeah. And then you can leverage things like Azure automation, which is PowerShell. So we get back to talking about, oh, God, you need to learn PowerShell. Yeah. And if you're not learning it, you're leaving yourself behind. You're missing out. Yeah. Why choose to become defunct? <laughs> uh, you know, it makes no sense. So Azure PowerShell, and I'm seeing it, like, the more I learn Azure IaaS, the more I see the potential of uh, Azure automation. Yeah. And, like, the last thing I was spending a lot of time on, and still am, is Azure Site Recovery. So the ability to do disaster recovery in the cloud for very little money and taking that traditional CapEx and OpEx cost and turning it into a very affordable OpEx cost. Um, you know, we can build up these lovely recovery plans. So each application or a small business can bring up its entire IT service with one click mm-hmm. uh, after a disaster. And we can build in so much automation into that to do things that, you know, otherwise would require human effort absolutely and just clean itself up it's just making a resilient system yeah and i know you had rick claus on about a month ago mm-hmm. um and he was talking about something that was funny because around that time i was actually just blogging about it myself where i was talking about um and he was talking about using azure automation to shut down vms to save money yep because we pay for them by the hour. Yeah. And does a business need all of their VMs running 24 by 7? No. Um, probably they only need them, to, you know, 9 to 12 hours a day. So you can use Azure Automation to shut them down and power them up as required, be it for normal production usage or for maintenance windows. Yeah. And save, you know, save the cost of your virtual machine instances. Yeah, you're talking about two-thirds of the time. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money. It's it's the big cost of running virtual machines in Azure. Uh, the storage element is really cheap. Egress data is a micropayment. Storage transactions is a micropayment. Yep. Um, and the VM costs, it's including the memory, the processor, and your software licensing, and your OS licensing. So, you know, if you don't need it running, shut it down. No kidding. Save money. Be Absolutely. popular with your boss. Aiden, it's always fun talking to you, man. A half hour just disappears. Yeah, fun talking to you, too. (laughs) All right. And I'm going to throw up the links for the Azure Remote app and the Azure Speed Test. Folks need to check this out because I think we're just getting a taste of what this future looks like so far. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. 